the one area is it relates to a lot of uh, the investment discussions we've had, not about the markets, but about um, crypto is how aggressive the central banks have been about crypto crypto lately. Um, you know, article in the journal today, page two, uh, Fed Governor Brainerd is, uh, you know, cautioning about crypto. The Bank of England, uh, uh, one of their uh, governors was talking about be prepared to lose all your money. China is very aggressive in curbing crypto and may um, go after all crypto mining. Uh, they're concerned more about outflows, I believe, than they are about the volatility or whether people lose money. I think they're worried about money flowing out of their country. But, you know, you've had that on top of Turkey and India, you know, going against it. Uh, uh, Lagarde's been a very ne- some very negative comments on crypto. Um, I think all these are factors in bringing the uh, price down there. Where it goes, I don't know, and I'm not pro or con crypto. My statements throughout the 59 weeks was when we talked about it was I'm concerned that central banks won't allow them uh, crypto to grow where they lose control of their currencies and control their economies because they can't afford it. And I think that's our start of the pushback that you're seeing right now, particularly from India, Turkey and China. The U.S. is just worried about stability. And I think Europe has worries about both. Um, So I think there's that's another message that. As investors here, we want to pay close attention to because I think that wave is rising right now. Well, Stephen, we're also seeing some of the sovereign banks issue their own their own um, digital currency. The Chinese yep. in particular are um, experimenting with that. And yep. that digital currency is is more than a storage of value. It's used to um, settle transactions. Yep. But it's a stable currency. And remember, I pointed out they're focused on stability of their economy um, through their currency. So and through all their monetary policies. So the difference of central bank currencies, this gets to the debate. Right. I the reason I'm in favor of crypto is I I think blockchain is the right solution for a lot of things in the world today. But I think as it comes to managing an economy, the central banks and the uh, fiscal guy regimes cannot lose control or you'll end up like you see with a lot of the emerging economies when they lose control of their currency. Right. So I think that's the difference. So stable currencies versus the way the Bitcoin since staying away from the governments operate are in conflict with each other. And I think the governments will win in that fight. What's the, can somebody explain to me what the difference is between a currency and a digital currency and a cryptocurrency? Bill. Um, sure. <laughs> I'm I'll just want to volunteer step forward. Anyway, <laughs> if you guys sure. can't answer, I'll call my 28 year old. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Now, so, so if you, if you have a, um, all right. So you, you can have sovereign, sovereign sponsored cur- currencies are simply currencies issued by nation states that at, one point in our history, we're usually backed by an asset or not. You know, today, I don't believe there's any sovereign currency out there that's backed by an asset such as gold. So it's all what's known as fiat currency. In other words, it it exists because it exists and it says so by the sovereign nation. Sovereign nation, the currency is, is intimately intertwined with the monetary policy of that nation state. 
And that's like really important. So that's, that's the, you know, sort of the, the currency that's, that's out there. Obviously it exists in paper form. It also exists mostly in, in electronic form as well. Then when you move to something like Bitcoin, which is a, a non-sovereign currency, uh, it, it has, it has its own monetary policy, which is stated in the code. And there's only going to be 21 million Bitcoins mined. Uh, last Bitcoin, I think is like 2132 or 2140, something like that. We know, we know the rate at which Bitcoins, uh, are mined, you know, every day. Uh, so that's it, the whole thing is fixed. So you know what's going on. The, the key thing about it is that it is decentralized as opposed to every sovereign backed currency is centralized. So you're, you know, you're bought into the thing about a sovereign issued digital currency is that it utilizes all the efficiencies that are available through the blockchain technology. So ease of transactions, speed, reduction of frictions and things like that. But it is still tied to the monetary policy of that country. The other thing is that one of the great advantages about, you know, the blockchain or the Bitcoin blockchain is that everything is transparent and you can, you don't necessarily know who it is, but you can see every single transaction that happens on the blockchain. When you have a sovereign nation that issues a digital currency, which by definition has to be on a blockchain, they also will see every single transaction that happens. And on one hand, that's positive. On the other hand, it's negative because since they can see it, you essentially lose all of your privacy and you lose more or less all of your freedom because the sovereign based digital currency, because it is centralized, can be manipulated. And again, pluses and minuses. One of the great pluses of a sovereign based digital currency is that they can do stuff that's called like micro monetary policy. So in other words, if they want to encourage, you know, spending in a particular sector or a particular geography, they can just airdrop money into accounts in, in that sector or in that, in that thing. But just as they can airdrop money, you know, into those sectors, they can also pull money out. So there's, you know, there, there's a, there's a great, there's a great danger to buying into a sovereign based digital currency. Um, just one, one other example, uh, you know, recently, you know, China just gave Iran like $400 billion, you know, in terms of, of a buy, uh, you know, for some stuff. That, if I remember my numbers correctly, that's one sixth of their GDP. If perchance China requires Iran to do all their transactions on the digital currency, then that means that China has a unique window into everything that is going on into Iran. So essentially they just bought the country in a way. So that, that's an illustration of kind of what can happen, you know, with it on, on the more sinister side of, of a sovereign based digital currency.
on the plus side, you know, if you don't, if you don't have a, um, uh, an actor with, with bad intentions, you know, there's tremendous efficiencies that can be obtained, you know, through implementing that. But again, it's the egg is scrambled as, as soon as it, you know, comes out of the chicken, so to speak. And there's, there's, I, I stretch to get that one. Um, you know, there, there's no way to untangle the, the positives and the negatives, uh, you know, with regard to sovereign based digital currencies. But, you know, I, frankly, my, my personal opinion is, is that I think China's doing it for a control feature. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if the U.S. did it, it would also be some sense of control. But there's there's also there are a lot of of economies and efficiencies that um, that come with a blockchain based uh, currency that, you know, that's being reaped in the whole DeFi you know market right now. Not to go down that that rabbit hole, but um, that's a long answer to your question. But I, I hope that helps. But does a digital so does it would a digital dollar not have to go through the banking system? That's the point. Is that it? Yes. It was yes, that is, a digital currency in Venmo. Yeah, you could the digital um one logical endpoint of of that argument is that the Fed could become the bank. And that's it. You don't need anything else because everything is electronic and everything is 100% digital. So, you know, it's all, you know, they're all federal they are federal reserve notes. In digital format. So your commercial banks become redundant. To some degree, yeah. I mean, certain, tra- you know, obviously the transactional nature of just, you know, doing certain businesses is important, but for them as being depository banks, that could go away. And every, everything then becomes, so what happens to the banking system is that it gets boiled down to its business aspect as opposed to its depository function. And they just become agents, you know, for lending and capital formation and things like that. But Bill, it's hard to lend if you don't have deposits. It, it's all credits yep. at the Federal Reserve. Right. It's all there. It's no longer in Chase. It's no longer in right. BNY. No longer in JP Morgan. It's all, all at the Fed. Which then changes the rate setting and all that for the system, which is why they're being so slow and methodical about how they roll these out. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, 99.9% of the people out there have no idea the ramifications of that. You know, you, t- you talk to the, the deep crypto guys, they all understand it, which is which is part of the reason why, you know, Bitcoin really got started and there's this whole uh, anarchist uh, you know, contingent that, that loves it. It's exactly for that reason is because they, they see the independence that you can achieve through a non-sovereign digital based con- uh, currency. Yeah. But I mean, I, I, I was, I was ranting about this before. I mean, what's going on with the whole arbitrage aspect of it is totally not what the whole thing was supposed to be about. One thing I would slightly differ with you on bill is that in and of itself you know the crypto thing isn't you could say sacrosanct or immune to some of the same vagrancies that you have in central banking you know because you and i don't remember them off the top of my head but you've already had some instances of the people for instance like creating a currency 
and all kinds of little kind of you know games from you know uh, um, you know starting themselves off with a certain uh, uh, you know base of the of the coin on top of what was going on to just so in and of itself you know crypto but the the whole idea of the blockchain like you say and the transparent nature of it I really think they'll send out armies you know what I mean the the especially the the the, the major they'll send out armies before they let this you know uh, um, sabotage you know what they're doing with their monetary policies I really think so yeah it's you know I mean obviously it's a long long way to go I mean the the sum total of all cryptocurrencies right now is just north of a trillion dollars which you know in a monetary based fashion you know that's really it's it's a lot but it's not that much so yeah um and and just to clarify back to your point uh which is well taken there's a big difference between bitcoin as a truly decentralized currency versus a lot of the ICOs that I think you were referring to where they you know they are created by some entity uh typically as as a utility token for either a a representative of a good or service that you can use and yeah absolutely a lot of those guys you know kept a lot to themselves and the problem you know with with altcoins generally is, is you do have to worry about how many are are kept in reserve by the sponsors because then they can essentially become a market maker and and manipulate things so so in those situations yes you need to be careful of it but again if you have a truly decentralized uh currency you know such as bitcoin then you know it's that's not that's not an issue because it's not controlled by anyone it's con- it's it's defined by the code that created it what what happens when they can't make any more bitcoin and well at that point in time uh you know sort of the 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 pri- you know who knows what the price will be um but bitcoin itself is divisible by i think a million units and each one of those units is is called a a satoshi um conveniently enough and so trend i think you know sort of the way the trajectory would work is is that you only have so many coins in circulation and the value of those coins you know will go up and down i think admittedly it's it's going to reach some price at some point in time and it'll be asymptotic and so the volatility around that price will probably decrease dramatically as you approach it whatever that number might be and, and so it will be able to act a lot more like a currency you know than more of a speculative you know store of value asset as it is right now but at that point in time um it's just you know it's it's a million times you know 21 million so you know that's 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 a large number and it'll continue to transact but if you happen to hold one bitcoin you'll be a very wealthy person as opposed to the normal uh course of uh, again sort of picturing this out in the future the the normal transaction unit will probably be a satoshi otherwise known as a sat uh, Duncan, what I what I will do for the next session, I remember reading something the 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 folks in Switzerland that are doing this Ethereum, who are really much more on this idea of the blockchain approach of it, they thought through that and they worked something out with with that. I don't recall it off the top of my head. 
I will read up on it, and the next time I will I will report back to you on it. Okay. Yeah. Well, you can, yeah, you can think of Ethereum as as being um, sort of the 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 gas or the oil for the engine. Um, what what Ethereum does is it it enables you to create smart contracts that then allow you to move money around on the blockchain. And and Ethereum uh, you know has its own blockchain as as well. So it's it's really it's sort of a programming language. If you, if you will. And there's all kinds of stuff that's been built on the Ethereum blockchain. Um, so that you can do, you know, more in the digital space. And, and one of the reasons why Ethereum is valuable is because you need a certain percentage. Um, it's, I, I think it's called a, a, a Wii or a, I think WAI or something like that. Um, to pay for your transactions that get posted onto the Ethereum blockchain. And, and so there's actually, there's actually a use case, uh, behind Ethereum and you can, you can, you can create a valuation model, um, for Ethereum as opposed to it's a little bit more difficult, uh, for, uh, for Bitcoin, but other, other altcoins that, uh, that operate in the same way. Again, you can, you can develop valuation methodologies based on their, their use. Bill, can I, can I just, Joe, Joe, you missed the ADM because this this keeps coming up, and I know that you you're versed in this, and I even without you you being on, I appointed you to help put together a, a, a an event on this. Uh, I would appoint Bill, but Simon Vine's worried that Bill actually is going to do more and more. He can't catch up to all the events that Bill's hosting. <laughs> Um, so, hey, I'll, I'll I'll cede that honor to Simon anytime. <laughs> I still have my day job. But but that was there was there were there were some families on it, and we you and I we we know there's a lot of families that are active in this, and it's better not to be led by me who's a crypto skeptic. Um, but uh, let's put it together, or, or I don't know what Lauren's trying to say there, but um, but let's put it. That no, together. I said me too. I'm a, I'm I'm I'm. A crypto skeptic, like I say, I think once Bitcoin hit about like fifteen hundred, two thousand. Before then, I was in, I was into it. I was a bit into it, but once it started, like I say, once it started becoming a speculative circus. I mean, I like I know what Zale does. Zale's gonna he's gonna you know he's gonna take a feedstock, create a product, he's got to distribute it, right? I get that. Uh, I understand there might be a, a way to pay for it through the and then blockchain of. of uh, but, you know, but there, you guys are all smarter than me. I'll, uh, but I'll just provide a form. So, John, John, you want to make a comment? Yeah, I think one of the last comments that I really align with, I've, I've been involved with uh, blockchain since 2015. I worked at uh, KPMG and ran that, ran that in finance for them. And um, I really encourage you all to look at the applications that can be built on top of it. This is Internet 3.0. And if you want to take a look at, I think, where to invest your time and resources, you know, the cryptos are, that's speculation. That's like doing options. That's fine. And if you want to do that, that's great. But if you were to want to um, talk about building enterprise value and building new new applications, look at the Ethereum platform, Ethereum platform and look at other, they call them DAOs, so decentralized applications. It's really about instead of going to a, an institution to say that my seller is real and my buyer is real, you now have a, you now have a million people validating that. So that's the real value. And this is the applications that right on top of the, the, the blockchain. And that's where I think I'm putting all. That's where I'm putting all my resources and energy. I'm building my company off of blockchain. So, again, crypto again is for speculation, and that's fine. And everybody should do that if they want. But 
That's right. That's right. That's right. I'm putting spending my time. Yeah, no, that's, that's a really good point, John. The whole the whole infrastructure side of of blockchain is enormous, and I think that people vastly underestimate the uh, the impact of potential business process automation that blockchain provides. It is it is enormous, absolutely enormous. Just think yeah. about the mortgage process that we go through here and buying a home with the titles. With just flowing your mortgage through the bank, how digital pro- how how this uh, blockchain can actually make that process so much more efficient, but it'll be at the cost of jobs. Uh, so I think it's going to be an interesting dynamic to see play out because companies are going to be able to really reduce their headcounts in the process. Uh, it'll even decentralize people like Uber because Uber is not really a sharing economy app. It's really not. It's just like another authority. So think about these, think about this disrupting groups like Uber and Groupon and things like that. That's what this technology blockchain is really about. It's, and from an accounting standpoint, it's just a fifth ledger, which is the holy grail. So if you look at it from that perspective as an accounting and as a verification method, it really makes it really simple. So that's my two cents on it. My last question on this, if, if I'm on Coinbase or one of these things and I trade a Bitcoin, I'm buying, I'm buying you know, the 21st century version of gold. If I buy Ethereum, what am I buying? I'm buying a, 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 a pseudo currency plus a technology process. Um, really what you're buying in Ethereum and others who are smarter in this can correct me. It's really the, the, the value associated with, with Ethereum more or less is the present value of the use case for Ethereum. Because again, you know, ETH, the, the coin that you actually buy, uh, people have to use that in order to use the Ethereum blockchain. So if you want, if you want a transaction process on the chain, you have to pay a, a, a teeny tiny, you know, piece of Ethereum in order to make that happen. So as Ethereum grows, and as more applications are built on the Ethereum blockchain, the, the ETH, the coin itself becomes more valuable. And I was, I was just sitting in on a, on a webinar yesterday and Ethereum is, is going to be transitioning into 2.0, uh, later on this year. And whereas right now, uh, the number of, of Ethereum, um, I think is somewhat unlimited, but when we go to the 2.0, uh, there will be a limitation on, on Ethereum, which, you know, could potentially make it more valuable. But, it, but, Duncan, to your, to your question, it is, Ethereum is a different type of an asset than Bitcoin is. Bitcoin is, is a, again, it's a decent, decentralized currency that people are assigning a store of value to. Because essentially it cannot be inflate by definition, it cannot be inflated. So it serves as a hedge against, uh, sovereign based fiat currencies that can be inflated. And so people are, are choosing to speculate that Bitcoin will be more valuable in, and in particular in a, in real terms, whereas Ethereum is a use case. It's almost like you can think about it almost like a company. You know, this is a little machine that does things, and the more people use that machine and build upon it, the more value, the more valuable the the token is 
that gives you access to that machine becomes. So that's really, you know, and, and a lot of other altcoins are, are, you know, essentially the, the same type of story, you know, to that. Again, Bitcoin is, is pretty unique, um, amongst all the other coins that are out there. So what's the difference between owning Ethereum and owning Microsoft or some other company? Well, excuse me, Ethereum is like the railroad tracks. So if you think about Rockefeller in the beginning, Ethereum is the railroad tracks that all these smart contracts are going to be set upon, that most of the other coin is set upon. So Ethereum is very unique. Uh, project and and company in itself and coin in itself because most of the other platforms are built upon and on top of Ethereum and so yeah. that's why that's why this next generation and and what's happening with Ethereum is I think really important to keep an eye on as well. Why so. does Ethereum report earnings? I'm sorry. Uh. Why doesn't Ethereum report earnings? <laughs> well, everybody's well, working on regulation. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I I think. I, I'm I'm not positive, but I believe that you that there are sources out there where you can find out how much revenue uh is related to the Ethereum coin. Um so it, there 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 is a whole uh nascent uh business of uh coin analytics and and with you know chain analytics as well. Uh, there are a number of companies that are out there that specialize in in providing that type of information. Um, I can't think I can't think of the names off the top, but I, I I know that there are at least three or four right now where you can get stuff like that. And there's a number. Obviously, there's a whole another area, a whole different ball of wax. But the decentralized finance space, Duncan, is a really interesting space that's built on the Ethereum kind of blockchain, and and from there you can actually track what these businesses, I mean, they're different kinds of lending businesses and all kinds of really interesting, you know, exchanges that are generating revenues and that you can actually see. And, you know, I think that, and then that's just like one of the use cases in, in a way NFTs and the non-fungible token space is a whole nother kind of use case of Ethereum and how to, how to utilize that. But I actually just had a quick question um, just to kind of tie this back to sovereign kind of monetary policy and things like that. I guess, Bill, in, in your perspective or whoever wants to kind of chime in, please feel free. You know, obviously you've got these central banks and, and these governments kind of saying, hey, we're going to be banning or, you know, the mining and we're not, we're not supportive of Bitcoin. But is that really a surprise? I mean, Bitcoin is kind of like this revolutionary technology that, you know, it is decentralized, right? So I, I almost perspective, my, my view is that that's actually bullish and that is the base case that these governments wouldn't be supportive of it, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I think that that narrative has been considered for a long time. You know, in the in the space, I think everybody fully anticipated that that sovereign governments, you know, would be apprehensive about the spread of it. And I think ultimately, as long as the Internet exists, Bitcoin will exist. And so the only way to separate people from their Bitcoin is to take away their access to the Internet, like period. So, you know, that, that would be it. Otherwise, you know, there's, there's no way, you know, Steve and I were having this conversation, you know, earlier, uh, last week. Um, there's no way that governments can actually confiscate it, you know, because you, assuming that you have, you know, your coin in your wallet, 
there's a public key and a private key. And, you know, unless the government puts a gun to your head and says, give me your private key, that's the only way that they can access your Bitcoin and take it away from you. So, uh, again, I'll, I'll, I'll defer to anyone who's got more insight on, on that. But, but yeah, no, they're fully anticipated. Um, you know, Vene- people in Venezuela have been trying to, you know, have been transacting in Bitcoin, you know, to escape their currency for a long time. Middle East, you know, same type of deal. Uh, you know, clearly it's, it's an avenue for the Chinese to get capital, you know, out of the, out of the country, which is why China's, you know, been sort of negative on it, you know, for a while. But again, you know, once, once it's there, once it's on the internet, it's, it exists, you know, globally and you can access it anywhere that you can get onto the internet. So yeah, I think the issue, Bill, is going to be regulation and reach. And uh, yep. some governments have a lot more reach than others. And yep. I would argue that the Chinese government might have the broadest reach. Um, and so I think any country that's worried about outflows is going to do whatever they can to try and make it as difficult as possible, including, you know, ways you can't access it in jail and other places, which I think some governments are going to resort to for people. So, yeah. I, you know, I think you can go in principle, in theory, you can go against it. But uh, in practice, the reach might be broader than everyone thinks from governments. Yeah. 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 I, and, and kudos to all the skeptics out there. I, I think you you absolutely need to have, you know, a raised eyebrow when you go into this thing, because you, you got to be careful and you really got to understand exactly what it's all about. No, what John is saying res- really res- resonates with me in terms of, you know, as I say, I just think the whole arbitrage bit is, is what, you know, for instance, you know, in a, a little bit touches on what Erica was saying, you know, you have, for instance, you know, you have the potential of creating currencies that are, that have real value you know, just among communities. I mean, literally, you could, for instance, think of like a group of mothers who, you know, all want to share child, you know, child care duties, right? That literally create a currency that, you know, just the four or five or ten of them would use that, you know, would have actual real value for the for these women with no thought of its speculative value, right? You know, it's this, it's this actually, in a way, you could think about it, it's this idea of an instrument that you can use for transaction where the emphasis is on the use value as opposed to the store value. That's, yeah. I think, the potential of, of, of blockchain when it comes to you know transactions. John? I like to think about it this way. This is our dollar. And... A, a coin that is made or a chain, it has all the logic written into the dollar. So when I pick up this dollar, I know the rules of the dollar. I know what to do with it. I know how it can be spent. I know where it can't be spent. I know the worth of it. It's all electronically programmed. And if you think about other forms of um, blockchains and, and value, like airline miles is a form of, 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 of a, what